So this is a recap of the second class of Darwin on Creation. Um, in this class, we uh, covered the, the, the first of the many different views, and that is what's called the calendar uh, view or the 24-hour day view. Um, and this is the most common reading, I believe, of this section. Um, we also did something in our first session that I didn't talk about in the first recording, and that is we did a survey of the class. I passed out on paper a survey and asked people questions to kind of gauge where they were with their beliefs about this section. How much have they studied it? Are they aware of the other views? Do they have strong opinions? What do they think of others who don't agree with them? And found some very interesting information, and that is within the class, within the you know 35 or 40 people in the class, Every single question I asked, we had people who ranged from the min to the max. So we had people who had no idea what this topic was, all the way up to people who would consider themselves well-versed in it. Um, every step of the way, it was like that. Um, except when we got to the question about whether or not people believed that the earth was old versus young. In that case, um, most people subscribe to the old earth belief and few subscribe, sorry, I said that wrong. Most people subscribe to the young earth belief and a few subscribe to an old earth belief. And it was kind of, you were in one camp or the other. The other interesting thing was the idea of relative truth and absolute truth. Most people believed in the notion of relative, I'm sorry, of absolute truth. Absolute truth scored very high within, within, within the class. Relative truth, surprisingly, also scored somewhat high. So people have within their within their makeup, the ability to understand that some truth is absolute and apparently have some understanding that some truth can be relative, which I found to be surprising. So anyway, there we go. So Genesis chapter 1, 24-hour day view. Um, we start out with uh, a pattern that we see here. And the pattern uh, throughout this section starts out with, and God said, followed by something, and then the phrase, evening and morning, a day. It was good. God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. These are some patterns we see throughout all of this, this first chapter. So verse 1 starts out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in this one spot, we see God having the responsibility for having created everything. Um, Earth, sky, sun, moon, stars, time, everything that we understand to exist, he created. Um, verse 2 is an interesting thing. It talks about the earth being formless and void, or another way to translate those words would be desolate and empty, or unorganized and uninhabited. And then darkness was over the deep water, Yet God was there to bring about a sense of order. So we see in the first verse, God creates everything. In the second verse, we start out with this kind of pre-first day scenario where what he's created, that currently um, the earth is formless and void or is desolate and empty um, and is dark and is covered in water. So then we get to the first day. Um, so those first couple of verses act kind of like an introduction. Then for the first day, we see God creating light, um, separated light from darkness, and created a cycle of dark to light, dark to light, and he called that cycle day. 
On the second day, what did God create? Hopefully you have your Bible out and you're taking a look. What he created on the second day was called an expanse in the midst of the waters. This expanse, you, you can envision kind of like a, a bubble being formed in the midst of the waters, an air pocket, if you will, to separate the waters from the waters, the waters that are above with the waters below. What in the world does that mean? Uh, we're going to skip over that for now. So this air pocket to separate the waters above from the waters below. Second day. Then on the third day, God said, let dry land appear. So now dry land appears and pushes the water out to the edges. Um, and the third day was also two for one. So he created dry land and the dry land appeared. Then also the plants, plants began to appear. He created plants on that third day. So now the fourth day of creation, what do we have there? We have God creating the sun and the moon and the stars. And here he talks about the purpose. He created the sun and the moon and the stars for the purpose of measuring times and seasons and days. So now we have something that people have something that, that had they been there at this point, they could have used that, the sun and the moon and the stars to kind of figure out where they're at within the calendar and even within, within the, the time of the day. Um, so that was day four. And day five, uh, we have the creation of the fish and the birds. Fishes and the birds, sea creatures and, and, bird, and, and creatures of the air. And then day six, just like day three was a two for one where we got dry land and plants, day six is a two for one where God creates animals on the land and then also creates man or mankind. Um, and man is special. It's the first time we've been told that, that anything was created in God's image. And man is given a particular role um, to rule. And to rule not over just the land, but to rule over everything that had been created. Um, and this is the first spot where God says it is very good. Up until then, he has pronounced that these things are good. And here he says it's very good. And then we get to day seven, where God says... Now I'm going to rest. And three times in verse 7, he talks about being finished, rested, rested. So the key there is that God, after six days of creation, yes, creation happened in six days, not seven. After six days of creation, God took that seventh day and rested. And interestingly, these days of creation, they all end with the phrase, and there was evening and there was morning, a first day, or evening and morning, a second day. But the seventh day doesn't end with that phrase. So it gives a little bit of a twist to that day. So that's a, a quick overview of what this, this view is, um, or a quick overview of what Genesis 1 says. So what about this 24-hour view? Well, the 24-hour view, the classical view, simply says that these days that are referred to are 24-hour solar days. If you had been there with a clock, you would have measured it, and it would have measured just like our current days do. Um, which means, of course, that this creative event would have been very miraculous for all of these things to have happened in that short time. Hugely miraculous, uh, which is not a surprise. Um, yeah, they're uh, calendar days. Now, let me see here. Um, so, so what kind of observations can we make about this? Well, first of all, verse 1 is a summary introduction. Um, introduction might be the wrong word. It's a summary statement that says God created everything. 
And then verse 2 and following is the details that tell about the creation that he did. So verse 2 continues the thought that was presented in verse 1. And it's interesting that verse 1 there's a, there's, a, there's a bookend verse. So verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2, 1, the first verse of chapter 2, talks about, and basically repeats that same phrase, that this is the, this is the account of when God created the heavens and the earth. So it, it bookmarks it, and it really highlights the notion that chapter 1 is giving the entire creation account. So this view of a 24-hour day, seven, six calendar days, a seventh calendar day, it flows from a direct literal reading of the text. You don't have to go doing a bunch of Hebrew gymnastics to figure out why the English doesn't mean what it says. It just follows from a pretty straightforward, natural reading of the text. And that's a, a, a good thing. Um, this view believes that these days are 24-hour periods of time. The view believes that these days are sequential. And we see that because each day it says there's a first day and a second day and a third day. It's clear that the writer wanted us to see a sequence. Um, we believe, or those that believe in this view, uh, believe that this account is historical. It's not a metaphor. Um, it describes what really happened. It is referred to as special revelation from God. Um, he was the only one who was a witness, and so he's telling us what happened and revealing to us something that we would not have any way to understand otherwise. And then, of course, when we, when we look at this whole period of six days plus a day of rest, um, we quickly come to the conclusion that this indicates a young earth. And by young, I mean somewhere in the realm of six to 10,000 years, you know, something in that realm. Ten, uh, no, no more than about ten or 12,000 years old. Um, there's no time in those six days for the, the long evolutionary processes that science tells us would, would, are needed to, to create everything we see around us. Also, in Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 11, God says that everything was created. Moses says everything was created in six days and God rested on the seventh. Therefore, we are to work for six days and rest on the seventh. So Exodus 20 points back to everything being created in that time frame. So it doesn't really give you a lot of wiggle room to think it would take longer than that. A, uh, another uh, um, ramification of this reading is that um, the 24-hour review carries with it the idea that there was no, no death, no physical death, until Adam and Eve sinned. So for those six days, um, probably on into the seventh, there was no death. The plants didn't die. Animals didn't die. No death until Adam sinned. And then when Adam sinned, then death, both separation from God and physical death, came into the world. Um, another ramification, another observation from this view is that God is directly involved. There's a theory out there called theism that says that God Created, he's like a, a giant watchmaker. He made the this world with all these laws, natural laws, and just kind of set it in motion and then stood back aloof and detached and just let it play out, just watched it happen. But very clearly, when we look at this, each of these days, God is actively involved. 
And then the other observation we make is that God speaks things into existence. So this reinforces the notion of creation out of nothing, or as, as it's sometimes referred to, creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's a Latin term. Um, so you get that just by seeing that, that God is speaking things. He's not starting with other raw materials and reforming them. He is just speaking things into existence. So it sounds pretty good, pretty easy to read, pretty straightforward. But with every one of these views, there are good points and there are challenges. So what are the challenges? What are the strange oddities with this that would make someone say, huh, I wonder if that's really what it means? Well, one of the first ones actually pops up in verse 2. Um, there are people who think that verse 1 is an introduction. And if you take verse 1 as an introduction, then verse 2 represents the starting point of creation. And the starting point of verse 2 starts with an earth which is um, um, uh, uh, formless and void. It starts with an existing earth. Oh, wait a minute. Where did that come from? So if verse 1 is just an introduction, um, uh, like a, a paragraph title, if you will, that kind of an introduction, then this whole idea of creation out of nothing doesn't really stand so well. So that's one of the challenges. We have to make sure we can read verse 1 not as a, as a chapter title, but as the first verse of creation. The second issue, which is, is uh, pretty obvious, and it has been uh, actually obvious to people for centuries, is that we have a problem with the day, what I call the day four problem. So we have day one, day two, and day three with, with a light and dark cycle, and they're called days. But the sun, which, by the way, was given the purpose of measuring days, wasn't created until the fourth day. So how can you measure days without the sun? That's, that's like saying, okay, I want you to go build a house for me. I'll come back in three weeks with the blueprints. You don't, you don't have the tools to do the job. So it makes it hard to understand just exactly what sort of days we're talking about here, if they're days that are, are um, not governed by the sun itself. Um, there's another interesting twist to this. The definition of earth changes to land. And I apologize, I don't have my Bible right here in front of me. But there's a spot right in the middle of this, uh, I think it's on the third day, when God begins to shift his phrase and he starts talking about the earth, meaning the, the dry land, rather than the planet earth. Well, that kind of makes the meaning of the word earth a little bit fuzzy. Um, back to this notion of the day. Here's an interesting thing. The days are described as evening and morning. Well, how do Jews measure a day. They measure a day from sundown to sundown. Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. But here, it doesn't say sundown to sundown. Um, it doesn't even say and there was dark and there was light. It says there was evening, which is a transition from light to dark, and there was morning from dark to light. In other words, Moses is just outlining the dark period, the light, the, the dark period, saying, look, and there was nightfall and night ended. That's the day, that's the first day. It's kind of a, a strange way to, to describe a day. Um, 
Another observation is that the Hebrew word for create, the strong verb for create, which is bara, is only used three times. It's in verse 1, in verse 21, and verse 27. The, all the other places use softer wording, such as let there be. Um, interesting. The order of events. If we were to go look at chapter 2, which we did in the class, I'm not going to cover it here, but if you read chapter 2, chapter 2 talks, zeroes in on the creation of man, and it says before there were plants formed, because there hadn't been water yet, and there's no man to till the soil, you know, before that happened, God created Adam and put him in the garden. Well, the funny thing is, if you look at Genesis 1, plants were formed on day 3. So Genesis 2 is placing the creation of man on day 3, not on day 6. So that's a bit of a challenge. And then the other challenge to this, the other interesting stumbling point, is that on day 6, when you look at all the things that Adam needed to do, and again, this is recorded in chapter 2, he had to be created, he had to spend some time tending the garden, he then had to have all the animals or at least most of them, um, paraded before him so he could name them. He had to come to the realization that he was alone, there was no helper fit for him. Then, put into a sleep, Eve had to be created. That seems, especially the naming of the animals, it sure seems like there's more to do than you could do in a day. Now remember, the previous days was all God So he could do whatever he wanted as quick as he wanted. We don't have a problem with him creating everything in a day or spreading it out over over five days. But when you get to that sixth day, now the whole thing has to proceed at human speed, not at God's speed. So, you know, there are quite a few theologians who look at that and say, we're not sure there was enough time on day six to accomplish everything that Adam had to do. So there you go. Um, That's the the overview of what it is. There are some observations. It has some strengths. There are some questions. There are some challenges to it that make it not necessarily an open and shut case. So uh, next time we'll talk about the gap theory.